JB, uh, as I said, Selection Sunday special here. Uh, no cold open. We're just going to go here. We're just going to tell you about who is in the field uh, this uh, go around. The 2022 Division Three Football Championship is uh, getting ready to start up, and now we have the 32 teams. As you can see in the bottom of the screen, are the five Pool C teams. Coming up is an interview with Committee Chair JJ Nekoloff who uh, is the Associate Commissioner of the ODAC and was the Selection Committee Chair after uh, three years of not being the chair. He's been on uh, the committee and the racks and whatnot over time, and so he is no stranger to the process, and we do appreciate him joining us later in the show here. But first things first, your 30,000-foot view, what, what jumped out at you when you saw the bracket today? Well, Let's be honest, Frank. It's it's Utica and, and no Johns Hopkins. We really thought that that was going to be the the final pool C pick. We I think we called everything else pretty accurately. Um, we thought the loser of the Mayak Championship would get in. They did. Wheaton got in. That we thought. So did Lacrosse. Um, you know, I, I, no real surprises for me. I mean, I feel a little bad for the Foresters having to play against the number one top seed again. That was a little bit of a tough deal for them, but I guess, you know, they win your conference in a tiebreaker. And anyway, but overall, um, I think it's a solid bracket. It's going to be some interesting matchups. Uh, but yeah, the Pioneers getting in was a little bit of a surprise. And if I was a Hopkins fan, I'd be a little disappointed or mad or whatever. But it is what it is, and it should be a great bracket, should be a great run to a championship, and we'll see what happens. For those wondering, JB is on the side of the road uh, waiting to uh, fly back home uh, because he was up at uh, Hobart with uh, his uh, child this uh, weekend, and uh, we will uh, get him on the road again very soon here. But we will go through all the brackets here, go through the matchups. I'll list them off, JB, and then uh, tell me which one jumps out to you as the one you're most excited about or that you have the most interest in overall uh, when I'm done with each of the four games in the or each bracket's four games uh, here. So here we go. We'll start first off with the upper left-hand bracket. And again, they are not seeded, uh, and so don't ask us what the seedings mean. Generally, the team at the top of each bracket or quadrant is the assumed number one seed, and the one at the, the bottom uh, that is hosting is the assumed number two seed. Not always the case due to geography, but that's been what we've been told over time, that they rank the top eight teams, uh, get the ones, get the twos, and try to uh, match them up geographically, build pods around them to the degree they can, and that's how they put this thing together. More on that another time. Here we go. In that upper left-hand bracket, St. John's hosts Northwestern St. Paul, as they've uh, put them here. I, it's interesting because I think we call Northwestern Minnesota, but uh, they are at 6-4 and four this season, St. John's 9-1. and one. Wartburg at 10-0 is uh, hosting Wisconsin Lacrosse, 9-1. Uh, Alma at 10-0 is hosting Mount St. Joseph at 10-0, a battle of undefeated teams, which is unfortunate. You, you kind of don't want to see that happen when you can avoid it, but uh, they chose not to go there, uh, or they chose to go there, I guess you should say. And then Wisconsin Whitewater at 8-2 is hosting Aurora at 9-1. So tell me from that uh, grouping, which one jumps out at you? Well, probably the Wartburg lacrosse matchup because both of those teams have potential to be like a semifinal or maybe even a finalist type of type of uh, situation. So, a couple of the best teams in the well, one of the best teams in the whole bracket is going to get knocked off early on. That's a tough draw either way. I mean, for Wartburg, it's a tough draw. It's a tough draw for lacrosse. That's going to be an epic game, and the winner of that will be probably favored to advance pretty far into the tournament. 
Well, the winner of that, though, has to probably uh, face St. John's, don't forget. So it will depend on which St. John's shows up because they've had kind of a yeah. Jekyll and Hyde season for sure out there. If they can get by there, I think you're right to a certain degree, although Whitewater might be waiting in the wings as well on the bottom side of that bracket. Mm -hmm. But we'll see what happens overall in that situation. Let's go lower left at this point. And uh, Mount Union appears to be uh, what I would call the one-ish seed. Uh, they are 10-0, hosting Salisbury, who... Went to the bitter end in a 36-33 win versus uh, Christopher Newport for the NJAC title Saturday night. And so uh, Salisbury travels to Mount Union. Then Susquehanna is hosting Utica. Uh, I bring it up later on with JJ. The irony here is huge because a lot of people think uh, or thought that it should have been Johns Hopkins, not Utica in that uh, rung. And so now Susquehanna gets to show what might have happened. Because remember, Susquehanna and Johns Hopkins fought to a two-point game uh, when they played in week uh, what was a week number uh, nine technically I, I, at that point so uh, we'll see what happens there but Susquehanna hosts Utica and uh, we'll have a lot of discussion about Utica in region two with JJ coming up so stay tuned Randolph Macon at 10 and 0 is hosting this this is interesting to me that they are hosting SUNY Cortland at nine and one so the season that SUNY Cortland has is blown up essentially to not even host one game after Cortica yesterday. And so it just shows you the logjam of East teams and what it can cause ultimately. In Delaware Valley at 9-1, hosting Gallaudet at 7-2. Hopefully our captioning is working on Facebook for this show and uh, that they're able to see some level of our uh, closed captioning for this. But JB, that Cortland on the road scenario is definitely something interesting for folks. Uh, but again, you have so many teams at 10-0 and 0 that sometimes that one loss is going to be enough to send you packing, and that's what's happening here. But which game stands out to you? Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it, Frank. I mean, the fact that Cortland has to go on the road after the season that they've had is, is really a surprise. But we were also really surprised at how Cortica panned out. I mean, you, me, Pat, we all thought that the Dragons were going to win that game, and Ithaca just looked amazing. I mean, they, they came out firing. They controlled the controlled the, the game for the most part. I mean, I know that at one point it was like 20 to 17. It was looking like it could go either way. But, man, the, the Bombers got the job done, and, and they seem like the real deal. So, uh, you know, maybe it's that's enough to send the Dragons sort of packing, like you said. But, uh, you know, Drew Campanelli and company in Randolph-Macon are no slouches either. That's going to be a great matchup. I think you're absolutely right. I'm interested to watch that one play out for sure. Let's go to the bottom right-hand bracket here. Uh, and we'll assume that Trinity is the one-ish seed uh, in this one. Although Linfield could lay claim yeah. to it. So I'm not so sure about sure. this one, if, if this played out correctly or not. I think what's happened here is possibly they put the travel bracket together in a way that maybe the number one seed that Linfield deserves did not get applied as easily as you would have hoped yeah. in this situation. So here we go, uh, and it's Trinity at 10-0, hosting Harden-Simmons at 9-1. We, we guessed these two matchups uh, perfectly for the last week and a half or so. Uh, Mary Harden-Baylor at 9-1, hosting Huntingdon at 9-1, who has to fly to Mary Harden-Baylor. It's just no way around Huntingdon flying in the first round. Wheaton, uh, a pool C team at 8-2. Hosting another Pool C team, Bethel 8-2. We do talk to JJ about whether this was uh, kind of even looked at or not. Stay tuned for that. 
And Linfield at 9-0 is hosting Pomona Pitzer at 8-2. So, again, you know, the travel bracket, JB, is what it is. Uh, but what do you see here? What game are you really looking at? Or are you kind of waiting to see what forms for the second round here a little bit as well? Yeah, I mean, a little bit, you know, I think the, the fact that Harden-Simmons got in is, is a good thing for the overall, you know, bracket. I think the fact that they're going to play Trinity, that's kind of an interesting new, fresh matchup that we haven't seen. I'm looking forward to that. The winner of that game, you know, will obviously, you know, take the next step probably against uh, the Crusaders, and, and we'll see, you know, where it goes from there. I mean, the crew are still the defending champs. Sure, they've had a, a bit of an up-and-down season here and there, and they've been battling with injuries and flu bugs and all that type of stuff. But that that little corner there with the defending champs is going to be really interesting to see how it plays out, especially if it gets down to, like, a, a Linfield, Mary Harden-Baylor, or a Linfield Trinity. I mean, lots of different permutations could happen there. Let's go to the upper right-hand bracket here, and uh, we'll see North Central, the defending runners-up, uh, as you brought up UMHB, the defending champs, but North Central makes it through the season with zero losses here, 10-0. They'll host Lake Forest for the second straight year. Jim Catanzaro's team gets a really, really tough first-round draw. 9-1 is what they finished, though, this year compared to 10-0 last year. Carnegie Mellon at 10-0 will uh, host DePauw. This is a compelling matchup to me. With two great defenses going at it, uh, DePaul at nine and one this season. New England special here, folks. Endicott at ten and zero in Beverly, Mass, is hosting Springfield at eight and two. We will have a new a New England team in round two. We are guaranteed to have that this year, uh, based on this matchup right here. A lot of geography at play with respect to this because Endicott is all the way in eastern Massachusetts. Although UMass Dartmouth's even further away from a lot of teams, but they were the ones that have to travel to Ithaca. 10-0 uh, Ithaca hosting 9-1 UMass Dartmouth, who will play, if Dante Avila Santos says so, 60 minutes of DM football. So which of these uh, matchups is most compelling to you, my friend? Well, uh, you know, it's interesting because this bracket feels familiar from last year because I think it ultimately could lead to a Liberty League or Eastern Region team, however you want to put it, getting to play North Central for a chance at the semifinals. Uh, North Central is just crushing everyone in their path right now. They look sort of unbeatable, but they were sort of like this last year. And they, you know, after the first half of the Stag Bowl, they, things didn't kind of pan out for them. So we'll have to sort of wait and see, um, but it's always great that teams like like an Ithaca or Carnegie Mellon get a chance to measure up against the North Central. We don't get to see a lot of those types of matchups uh, during the regular season, so I'm excited to see kind of how this this quadrant plays out. I think it's awesome for uh, New England that you have the Endicott home game. We've been calling that for a couple of weeks now. I think they're they're legit threat and you know they might even uh, you know give uh, give it the scare but that's of course depends on if they can get by the pride who are you know no slouches themselves so well that's a great matchup either way a you know king of new england no matter what will be on the line that'll be a, a little bragging rights there so let's go to our uh, interview. Uh, J.J. Nekoloff is the Associate Commissioner of the ODAC, Old Dominion Athletic Conference, for a good number of years. He has been uh, either the Assistant or Associate 
uh, commissioner for them and has been very involved with the Stag Bowl and the playoffs throughout his tenure there. So it was no surprise when he wanted it to be the committee chair and was selected as such by the NCAA selection committee. And uh, he did a great job uh, on this interview. Uh, we ask everybody to hear him out because I know there is some uproar generally. Are some of his answers a little political? Sure, absolutely, but that's his role in this uh, situation. Uh, he's yeah. got to defend the process because he oversaw the process and it's a process that's dictated by the NCAA in their criteria. So keep that in mind. But again, here is our interview with JJ Nekoloff. JJ, thanks for joining us and uh, kind of take us through what the last 24 hours especially have been for you and the selection committee because it's been kind of a, a interesting go of it with that 7 p.m. game having to uh, be the last thing you had to wait for before you could really get really down and deep into the numbers. But uh, take us through the last 24 hours. Well, we get to find out just how busy this time of year is for everybody because you know, football has to find its place in, in what's happening here with some of the regular season finales that we have. But at the same time, you've got the championships going on for field hockey, for men's and women's soccer, uh, for volleyball. And that's what we ran into a little bit here with some of the games that were previously scheduled for different times. You know, the Salisbury CNU game, uh, Case Western Reserve Carnegie Mellon obviously being the later one. And that's because there were some hosting responsibilities for some of those schools uh, with some of those other championships. So. Once we were able to kind of identify that, put a plan together for how we could work through that, I think uh, we got in here into the into the NCA office yesterday, right around 1 p.m., uh, maybe a little bit before. We had seven laptops up and a bunch of screens. We were ready to go uh, and just working yeah. through each of those. Probably didn't get to bracketing, you know, seriously, other than maybe just trying to take a look at some things until after 10 p.m., and we rolled out of here uh, about 2.15, I think. My brain didn't shut off till 3.30, and most of us started rolling back in at about 7.30 to be ready to go. So we were, uh, I'm the only one here. The rest of the committee was on Zoom working through it, and that's our process, kind of getting it done here before we want to be done by 11 noon time so that we can get prepared, get things out to people like you so you can get prepared and we're all set. JJ, I spent most of the weekend up at Hobart telling everybody how I didn't think Utica was going to make the field and they would end up in the ECAC bowl game. They obviously did. They were selected as a pool C. Um, tell us a little bit about you know that that process. The, I mean, the pool C is is obviously really where you guys have the most difficult challenge. I mean, obviously seating, right. well, not seating, but arranging games and, and ranking, uh, I should say. But tell us a little bit about the pool C process and how. Utica kind of ended up there. It's kind of a surprise for some of us, at least me anyway. Well, you know, there's no doubt that that's the, obviously the most difficult process with it. That's where we get to go ahead and, and work through it as best we can and using the criteria that we have. I mean, in addition to rules that are currently in place, like you know, nobody in the same conference can play in the first round right now. We've got those primary criteria numbers to go off of to work through things, which is gets exceedingly tougher as we try to not just benchmark through the rack process and then into the national rankings about in-region results amongst the six regions and the seven teams that are ranked for those. But then when we start going ahead and crossing over and trying to find those five teams that are right against the criteria to go ahead and bring into the tournament, uh, making sure that we're not making decisions based on where matchups are, what plane flights could be, what this could be that, because that'll all sort itself out when we start going through the bracketing process. But this was truly looking at things, trying to find those five teams to join the 27 AQs that fit the criteria for what we were doing from a consistent basis as a national committee and take it under that same tone throughout the entire process. 
Now, full disclosure to folks out there, you and I have been friends for a good 15 years uh, from the, the days when I started being the sideline guy for D3Football.com at Stag Bowl down in Salem. And uh, I appreciate you and everything that you've been doing to make this process transparent and everything else. But I'm going to have to take you to task on something that I know a lot of people are going to be asking here. And uh, I know you're going to be very transparent with this answer. We've been talking about the thing about results, not necessarily including scores. There's a lot of people out there that saw Johns Hopkins ahead of Utica last week uh, in the regional rankings, and then they're going to wake up to, or you know, I guess open their eyes to the selections and realize that Utica got pushed ahead of Johns Hopkins somehow in Region 2 in the regional rankings. And that score situation in the Cortland game for Utica and the Susquehanna game for Johns Hopkins is something prevalent in a lot of people's heads and minds on this. You know, I, I know you probably feel bad for those that get left out as much as uh, we do out there, but kind of tackle that one a little bit uh, if you can, because it's not going to make sense to a lot of people. And if it doesn't make sense to people, I think it makes the process a little bit murky for us out there. So try to give some clarity and lucidity to the situation to the degree you can. Sure, absolutely. And we'll certainly, I have no problem talking about that, but I want to make sure also that we're not shortchanging the teams that are in there, making sure that we're congratulating those that are in here in this tournament, not just with the, the at-larges we selected, but also with the AQs. But going through the process, you know, when we're looking at the rankings and things can change from week to week, especially with football. I think that's one of the things that you look at it with 10 games played. Some teams are only playing nine games. you got the volatility of those games, each and every one of them. And I think when it comes into looking at what those results are, and that's where I maybe there's some uh, confusion that comes about what's the result mean. Well, for us, it's the win-loss when it comes through with it. So we're not necessarily worried about the score because there's things that aren't necessarily created equal with some of those scores. You know, we've seen last second field goals, this sort of thing. You just saw one that was, you know, perfect to look out there with happened with them in Mount Union and, and uh, Baldwin Wallace with that play at the end of the game uh, with two scores inside of the final 30 seconds of that contest to go ahead and make a decision about that. So what we're trying to do is when we start to go through the process before we even get to looking at making any selections for those at-larges. We're trying to come up with the things that make sense within those criterias and the thresholds for what does strength of schedule mean here? What does a win against a region ranked opponent mean here? What do nine and one versus eight and two versus 10 and 0 versus nine and 0? What do these things mean? And when we're talking about those with the committee group and putting it together, then we try to stay consistent with those throughout the entire process. So that was really the goal and what we're going for. I think we did a good job with it. Uh, are there going to be people that disagree with decisions that are made? Sure, that happens all the time. I've been with the Old Dominion Athletic Conference now going on 17 years, and I've picked every player of the week there for the last 17 years. And I would be very naive to think that my opinion is the only opinion. But I do think we had a sound process looking for it, and we're as consistent as possible as we could be working through in identifying those teams and making the decisions that we feel uh, created a compelling bracket for us here with 32 teams and what's been a really exciting Division Three season this year. Yeah, it's definitely been a season for the ages. And and JJ, I think, you know, the, having been through this a few times and we, we kind of understand, but maybe for those new to the process, you know, sort of explain the, you know, I guess maybe the, the island or the travel, um, you know, sort of the travel pod as it were, because there are certain flight uh, restrictions as far as budget and, and so on. I mean, obviously on the mm -hmm. bracket, you can see, you know, we've got, you know, a team from California flying to Oregon and there'll probably be some other 
you know, flights directly thereafter. But it did seem that you guys purposely tried to compact that as much as possible. Tell, tell maybe some of the newer fans how that all works. I think when it comes to grouping those flights together, I think that was a hampered stance of putting together the bracket and seeing what made sense from some of those travel perspectives. We do have limitations on flights as we try to limit some of that travel as much as we can, but there's only so far that we can predict and prognosticate with it. Uh, so at least in that first round looking forward, we got those two flights. We knew we were going to have a situation like that because there's only so many places that teams can go. And then plus when you look at just for instance, you've got a Harden Simmons and you've got Mary Harden Baylor from the same league. We know they can't play it in the first round and they're in Texas and you would like to try to, to do that. So Trinity's in there. So Huntington's in there. You've got two from the West Coast. It would have been really interesting if this was a year like it was in, I can't remember if it was 2018 or 2019, where we had two California teams that were in the mix. And that changed some things with what we could do with the flights. So there's certainly a practicality portion to what we have to do with the, not just Division Three football, but with all of Division Three, with all the tournaments that come across. So we try to make as compelling a bracket as we can, but a bracket that makes sense, a bracket that we can predict a little bit there on the front end. But then when upsets happen, when games happen, when we play those games, we kind of just have to take what happens from there. So building out the bracket here, trying to build some things that made sense for as far as we could reasonably take it. And then we just have to let it play out and see what we have and hopefully you know, we've got two really good teams there to come to Annapolis with us on December 16th and uh, have a really good stag ball there for the 49th game. We've become a very East-centric type of uh, division, uh, and I think something that underscores it the most is a game that uh, is popping in uh, the middle of the upper right bracket, Endicott hosting Springfield, uh, uh, because it's basically New England versus New England. We are guaranteed to have a New England team in the second round this year. And it's something that a lot of people are going to scratch their heads about uh, out there because they don't give a lot of credit to New England Division Three football out there. Take us through kind of the conundrum you end up with because of the number of Eastern and Northeastern teams and how the distance of the 500-mile rule may play into some of this as well. Yep, so that's where that comes from. So we got the 500 rule or 500 mile rule there. So anything outside of 500 miles is one of those plane flights. So when we're looking at things and where teams were, we put it all on a map. You know, we've got a great resource here that JP Williams and Jonathan Youngblood, our two li uh, liaisons with the National Committee, have kind of built for us. And then we also used, uh, I built up a Google map that went forth so I could see it front there and look at what the mileage looked like. The tool that we've got for building the bracket automatically does that as well so we can see what those mileages are and then use that as a guide to help us build some of these games because we want to do it to make sure that we're paying attention to where teams were in the rankings, if you will. What what were they ranked in Region 1? What were they ranked in Region 3, 4, 5? And try to find those right places that make some sense when we're working through it. And I think when you're talking about, you know, games, you know, what's the Midwest look like? What's the East look like? What's the North New England region look like? When we were building some of those games, there's probably, you could probably come up with a couple different ways to move some teams around and stay within that 500 mile range. But I can tell you that, you know, none of us, when we built that bracket, we didn't even say to ourselves, well, we're going to, we're guaranteed a New England team in round two. That's just not what part of the factor was. The factor was just trying to take the teams 
with the rankings that we have from the criteria that we are following up on as being as honest and true to that as we possibly could and building a bracket that made sense, which I think it does, but also gives us some matchups, which I think are going to be pretty cool throughout this process and hopefully lend a whole lot to the Division Three fan, which has been just great this year with the games that we've had with teams that are playing teams they've never played before in locations they've never played before at times of the year that they've never played before. So we hope that that continues in the tournament. Was that some of the same thought process, JJ, for, uh, and Frank, you, you can chime in because I, I think you, you mentioned it before the broadcast, but you know, we have a couple of Pool C teams matching up in round one. Normally that you don't really see that all the time, but Wheaton and Bethel. So that was that one of those kind of matchups where sort of either geographically or otherwise it just sort of made sense? Yeah, I'm going to, uh, we'll peel back the curtain here for you on this one real fast that we did not even look at to say we just put two pool C teams together. That was not part of the decision-making process. It was about where they were with the rankings and where they were geographically coming through that. And that one made sense to us when we were looking through it. We probably spent five or six hours just on things inside of the bracket. And then, okay, what does it look like if we do this? What if we move this entire pod here? What does this do? Where do we fall off with, say, some of our plane flights? Did we just create a bad plane flight? Did we create a mismatch of rankings that is way too far out of range because when we're looking where geographic has to be in place we simply cannot at division three whether it's football or any sport can't go 32 at the one or can't go eight at the one or 16 at the one wherever it's going to be or any normal bracket progression you get like that at sometimes so we've got to keep that into account so whether it was going to be an at-large or an aq that was not part of the decision-making process when we put, say, a matchup like that together or where Utica was or the other uh, at-large bids where they came across here. I think you got UW Lacrosse is in the upper left, Utica's in the lower left, and the upper right is all AQs, and then you've got the other three with the at-large bids in the lower right. That was not part of the process we were going through because I think, quite frankly, on that one, that's not criteria for us to make any decision. I will say you have a sense of irony that you paired up Susquehanna and Utica under the circumstances. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge uh, on that one. And I'm curious to watch how that game plays out ultimately. Uh, I know it's not done uh, intentionally, but it is uh, ironic to say the least. Uh, but let me ask you this question, though, JJ. You and I have been around long enough. Uh, so is JB. Uh, I, the ability to measure teams this year like your whitewaters your saint john's your wheaton's your trinities uh your harden simmons uh out there as well etc because of the crossover games beyond anything i can ever remember for upper level teams even an out of region approach uh by a lot of these teams did that make things harder or easier for you in this whole situation? I'm going to guess that for Harden-Simmons uh, with the Platteville game, it made things a little bit easier to say, hey, your strength of schedule isn't great, but you have that win, and you know we're going to let you in uh, through Pool C this year compared to last year where they didn't get in. But overall, did these you know, top-level uh, matchups, the UMHB I should have thrown in that list too, uh, did, did it make things easier or harder for you in the whole process of this? You know, you know, Frank, I don't know what the right characterization maybe of it is. Harder, easier, um, challenging, certainly going through the entire process. It's a challenge whether we had, you know, eight uh, pool C teams to pull in or only two. 
uh, taking a look at what we've got, but we've got 32 teams that we had to go ahead and try to find the right spots for. But yeah, the crossover, I mean, I think that's what's part of been the fun for the fan this year is that we're seeing these games where people are crossing over, but we look at some of those teams that they're playing each other. There's some cross play. They're beating each other. Somebody's one and one against here. I mean, we had a three-way tie that got Lake Forest, the AQ there, and you don't see them on uh, in, in one of those rankings that's sitting there, but we've got to play with some of that here and try to figure out what makes sense within that criteria again. And I guess maybe that's a little bit of a broken record with it because, but that's what we've got to come back to because that's the, the averaging out factor, the generality that we have to work with to try to take all these teams and take those challenging things you were talking about and trying to bring them into something that makes sense for the entire bracket when we're building through it. JJ, maybe just to, to, bring up a, a potential elephant in the room. I mean, there's only five pool C picks next year. It's only going to be four. There's been yep. some talk about the playoffs potentially expanding down the road. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, you don't have to sort of say yes or no either way, but from a maybe like a 30,000 foot view, do you see that as a possibility down the road, just given the expansion of the, of the division and how many teams and, and access and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I think this is a tough topic to really talk about because it's we're not quite there yet. We're not quite there when we're moving through the process. But know that there is a process for this because it's not something that anybody's taking a blind eye to. We did have a change in going from seven to six teams for an AQ. So we're starting to see the movement from that. So what does that do to this bracket and how does it build across? And then what's the next step if there is a next step? Some think there should be a next step. Sounds like there's insinuations, there's gossip, there's talking about all sorts of things. But we know what that looks like uh, from right now. So there's a process that we need to go through. I think there's a desire from some people to go ahead and make that happen. But officially, there's nothing there just yet. Uh, the channels are there to go ahead and make it happen in the future. Uh, but we're not quite there at that point. I think it will be part of discussions here moving forward in the future. But it's not something here that we could go ahead and really approach with this championship at the moment because we needed to focus our our opportunities right now, focus our energy on here with this championship at the moment. But I would say be confident to know that there are discussions that will be happening, whether anything comes of those, I think that's to be seen. JJ, last question for me here. Are you comfortable with strength of schedule, the way it's being computed? Uh, as somebody that knows numbers as well as you do, you've been doing your job in the ODAC for many, many years now. Uh, you started when you were 12, we know, don't worry. Uh, you're, you're just uh, 29 years old and holding, we got you, don't worry. I was that guy with the original Tech Mobile that I would pause the game to take down Bo Jackson's rushing yardage, so I knew what I was doing for the entire season because the second Tech Mobile is the one that kept the stats for you, so I didn't have to do that. But I understand what you're talking about here, but go ahead and continue on. Yeah. Well, it, it, there's uh, going to be some folks that say the last few years there was kind of an implicit discussion going on uh, through what we saw in the picks that said strength of schedule matters to a degree, but then when you see a 10-team conference, you can only do so much to utilize it because 10-team conferences that play nine games in their round robin uh, for uh, in-conference play will always be 500 or thereabouts. And so how can you utilize it in the same way uh, against a team that only has seven teams in their conference, for instance, or soon to be six? Is this, for a game like football that lacks a certain number of results, something that gives you pause? Or did this committee look at SOSL and maybe even doubt it at times and look deeper into criteria because of that? Take us through 
what SOS is or isn't as far as you're concerned, uh, the way it's being calculated right now? So I think this is, you know, we're talking about an equation, but I think there's a human factor to it when considering it. And when we're looking at two teams combined or three teams, whatever the group of teams is that we're looking at, um, there's got to be some kind of take on what's significant for some of these. It may be the only criteria, and again, come back to criteria, that we have to differentiate somebody at a time. Maybe that's the only thing we've got there, so we've got to use it. So comfort level about how it's calculated. Um, there's always ways to evaluate, I think, what's going on. So I don't want to say that I'm comfortable with it or not comfortable with it. I would say that for football specifically is that it has a volatility threshold that I think we need to look at because you look at some of the other sports that maybe hang their hat on it so much more, a basketball, the soccers, uh, baseball, softball that are playing 40 games can look at it a little bit differently in those criteria, which are the same, maybe have a little bit of a different application to it. But when we're looking at certain things, we try to, and they're prescribed to us as being on an even keel. But when it comes down to it, when we've got 10 games, nine games that we're looking at, we've got to find a way to make some decisions about those that are as objective as possible, but then apply them consistently looking for it. And again, you know, more broken record on some of that stuff, but that's really where it comes back to. So the calculation of it, could it be evaluated? Sure. Are there ideas on some of that? Yeah, I think there's some conversations going with people, but that'll be all part of the process they're looking at. And I think I think we're at an interesting time now with Division when We have been for the last 12, 18 months or so with the Constitution uh, discussion, that sort of thing. Things are going to change. Things are going to look forward. Are all tournaments going to look a little bit different? Where does football fall into that? Where do some of the emerging sports fall into it? I think there's going to be some decisions that are come about here that are going to change some things to what degree. I'm not sure. Are the systems going to stay in place? Are they going to have some familiarity to what we have and moving forward into other years? Yeah, I think so. There's going to be some familiarity, but know that there are also evaluative processes to things that may be very different going on as well. So we'll have to see how those apply. Committees upon committees are looking at them and people that are all really good at what they do. Uh, trying to figure this part out and do what's best by it. Because I think to a person that's working on this, we want to make sure that we're doing best by our championships because championships is really what we do. So we need to do make sure that as sound as possible when we're moving forward. And some of that is evaluating our criteria and taking a hard look at it and making sure it is what still fits us right now. And I think we're going to see that that's part of the process here with the Constitutional Committee moving some things around over the next three, four, five years. We'll see what it looks like. Listen, my, my commentary briefly is if we get, we're going to stick at six teams for uh, the uh, conference AQs, then we've got to do something and also reevaluate SOS too because it's going to be wildly unusable for 10-team uh, conferences versus 16-team conferences out there. It's just going to be so different and not under the control of anybody in a 10-team conference in those situations. That's just my view, and I hope that they do push those changes. Now, every year we allow the committee chair. This is our 15th season. Congratulations uh, for you know uh, being uh, number 15, basically, uh, with this here. But uh, we give you the uh, chance to give your final thoughts uh, on the process, on the job you had to do, on whether you liked it or not, anything you want to uh, tell the people out there, tell the teams that made it, didn't make it, or anything else. This is your floor here, JJ Nekoloff. 
Well, I, I've got to acquiesce to the committee and to the group of people that we have here. I mean, I mentioned I mentioned JP and Jonathan that were in there, but we've got a committee of of six guys in total with me, and we've got the the regional advisory committees that come through this. We start with the the process that goes on in the beginning of the year with training up on it, answering answering and asking some of the questions, and sometimes in that order, like a Jeopardy scenario. Uh, but the process for me has been. Has been eye-opening, illuminating. I don't want to go, you know, too grandiose with the words I'm using here, the adjectives to put in place. But it's been an educational process uh, for me going through it. I spent three or four years on the rack first. This is my fourth year on the committee. Uh, had one taken away with not having a stag bowl there in the middle of the process. But that is what it is. We work through it. This will be my 15th stag bowl after hosting 12 of them in Salem. I'm looking forward to that process. I've been around this game and this tournament. Uh, for that long, this will be 17 years for me in the Old Dominion Athletic Conference. So I've appreciated seeing it from really all sides of this game outside of the coaching angle, which obviously is something that's not part of, of my background. But uh, I think we've got a good bracket here. I think we've got a good set of teams. I think we've got some really compelling matchups that are going to come through. Whether you know people are going to evaluate it up and down, who's got this path, who's got that path. I think everybody's got a path to something, and everybody had a chance to go ahead and uh, has a chance to go ahead that's in this field to make some noise. And we'll see what they do, and we'll see what we have here. So I've enjoyed it. I hope you guys uh, continue to enjoy it, Frank and, and JB. I know you just enjoy the game itself because you wouldn't do this if you didn't enjoy what we have coming down to it. So I want to make sure that we focus on that with the coverage that you've given this sport that Pat Coleman and the group at D3 Sports has given this sport. I think we've had an outstanding season and you guys continue to do a great job to push that and make it fun for us and make it not scary for me to sit here and talk to you. I mean, obviously 15 years of a friendship with you, you're welcome by the way for my friendship because that's important. But uh, but no, I think it's uh, it's been a really cool thing and I, I appreciate seeing you guys here through. I appreciate you asking the questions, giving an opportunity to answer them and kind of give my views of this process. I think it's pretty cool for those that have the opportunity to go ahead and experience this for the coaches and administrators that may be tuning in if we're lucky enough that they do that. Uh, I would say get involved with it, talk to your ADs, talk to your commissioners and come on on the process and be a part of it here and building the bracket here and seeing these athletes and teams come out here and pray for your championship because that's what we're looking forward to. Thanks to you. Thanks That's to JP. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I'll be there to protect you guys from Jim Cat Zero, who's uh, facing another top-level opponent uh, in round one after he uh, was done his chair. So we'll see uh, if he finds you guys. I'd be scared. He's he's a he's an opposing uh, guy uh, to say the least. Uh, you're not scared of that guy. I've been in his pickup truck before. He'll be he'll be fine. So no issues there. But my question for you is. How many jackets are you going to be wearing down on the field at the at the Stag Bowl this year? Because you know, can you get an old bay theme going on in there? We've got crab cakes and football. I mean, what's what's happening here when we're in Maryland? This is an important tune in, question. And tune in and find out on Stag Bowl Friday night. How's that sound? Hey, Until you're, then, you're the mayor. I appreciate the political answer. Well done, sir. Thank you. JJ, thanks again for everything, and we will definitely see you down the road here uh, on the way to Annapolis, Maryland. Thank you. JB, uh, as I said before the interview, a little bit political at times because of the defense he has to do for the process. Uh, you know what? I am wearing blue in honor of the Blue Jays. Uh, I'm not going to be shy about that. And I honestly feel like they are the screwed Jays uh, today uh, because of what happened. Uh, so, yeah, I just think that it, it, if we. 
had a little bit of foresight as a RAC or a national committee, or if they did, uh, they would have probably hinted to us earlier in this, like last Wednesday, that Utica should have been ahead of Johns Hopkins. Uh, it just seems like something happened at the end of this process that pushed them back around again. Now, I understand Susquehanna's strength of schedule dropped, so maybe they're only the number four team in this region. Well, but at the same time, Susquehanna's hosting Cortland's not, so that would indicate to me that's not the case necessarily. So maybe Susquehanna yeah. did stay ahead of Cortland. If that's the case, and we will see the regional rankings either tonight or tomorrow, it doesn't make sense because, again, they lost by two points, Johns Hopkins did, to Susquehanna and 27-point differential between Utica and Cortland. Cortland, who lost and now isn't even deserving to host a game. You just you play that out a step further and you're like, wait a minute, this makes even less sense when you look at what happened with Cortland's draw. So what are your thoughts here? You, you alluded to it earlier. What are your thoughts overall on this, though? Well, I mean, and I think it kind of came up in the interview. You asked the question. I mean, the whole strength of schedule thing seems to be really not working as well as it used to. I mean, we even saw in the in the rankings before Hopkins was um, below Utica as far as strength of schedule, but they were ranked higher in the last runaround. So maybe that had something to do with it. I mean, Utica won by a couple touchdowns against St. John Fisher, but they were also only up by seven points with about three or four minutes left in that game. That's not really an impressive win, in my opinion. You know, one of the – it's there's always a team every year that sort of gets the, the, the tough deal, and it's not going to get any easier with 28 teams getting AQs next year and only four pool Cs. You know, I don't envy the committee. It's a, it's a tough road to hoe, and there's always somebody that's going to feel left out and for valid reasons – End of the day, though, sirens are going off for you there, Frank. Um, you know, I just – it was either going to be Ithaca or Hopkins who got kind of left out. We, we, we called it from a couple weeks ago. Region 2 just had too many undefeated teams, has too many conferences with high quality. It's just there wasn't going to be enough seats at the table. And, unfortunately, that uh, – you know, whatever that game is where you, you know, pull the chairs out as, as it goes along just doesn't pan out for them. Musical chairs, yep, uh, pretty much. Musical chairs, yeah. Yeah, so uh, folks, again, uh, we will be back with you on Monday with ECAC bowl pairings around noontime Eastern time. Uh, stay tuned to Twitter for the exact time. Uh, unfortunately, I got a, an aunt's funeral to attend earlier in the morning, so I'm going to try to rush back to get here in time to get us on the air on time. So I apologize if we can't. But family first for a few minutes there at least uh, tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, then a crunch time episode either Tuesday or Wednesday. We're just uh, working out how we're going to handle that episode. Friday, we'll have a couple interviews hopefully live for our playoff preview. Saturday, we'll be helping out with Bracket Blitz on D3Football.com, which is our whip around show. Don't forget, D3Football.com's got plenty of coverage with ATN, their podcast, on Monday morning. And a lot of playoff capsules coming at you uh, next week, throughout the week or this I week, I guess, technically. Shoot. Yes, you do. <laughs> so, get, get, get going. <laughs> what, what are you just sitting there? Let's go. No, anyway, <laughs> folks, thanks for joining us. We know that you're not going to agree with everything here, and we don't either, okay? I, I, if it was up to me, this color would be there. Uh, well, I guess it is, technically, because Utica's also blue. But, uh, you know... The Blue Jays, I think, 
they, I wish we could go back and look at last year and see how many players they have back to say that game versus Salisbury said the committee did the right thing by the Blue Jays last year, and they probably yeah. would do the same thing this year, but that's not how it works. And so Utica is the team, and they'll have to face Susquehanna. Again, irony through and through right there. Intentional or unintentional? Your guess is as good as mine. But anyway, we'll see you throughout the week. Enjoy.